Welcome to the ACOFP Advocacy Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Well, hello. Uh, thank you for joining us for this federal update podcast uh, with ACOFP. My name is Mike Park. I'm a partner at the law firm of Alston and Bird in Washington, D.C., and I also serve as ACOFP's uh, Director of Government Affairs. Um, I am joined by two colleagues of mine at Austin and Bird, and I can't think of um, uh, more, more uh, better suited individuals to uh, talk about this topic. Uh, I'm first joined by former Congressman Earl Pomeroy, uh, who for uh, 18 years served uh, the great state of North Dakota as their at-large member of the House of Representatives. Uh, during his tenure at the, in, on uh, the Capitol Hill, uh, uh, Congressman Pomeroy served on the House Ways and Means Committees, uh, health subcommittee. Uh, he also served as uh, North Dakota State uh, uh, Insurance Commissioner, as well as president of the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. Uh, I'm also joined by my colleague, Mark Rader, who's a senior policy advisor with Alston and Bird. Uh, he is uh, no stranger to physician issues, having uh, served uh, as a, uh, a government affairs leader for a uh, specialist society. Uh, he works uh, with prim primarily with providers uh, here at the firm as part of his practice and is perennially on the Hill newspaper's uh, list of top lobbyists. So uh, why don't we turn to uh, what, what's been going on? Uh, Congressman Parmoy, can I turn to you first just to talk about the macro issues of uh, what, what's happening on the Hill and, and from the high level, what, what do you see happening uh, for the rest of 2024? Sure, Mike. Uh, you know, as we began this new Congress, it was quite unclear in terms of what was going to happen. The House had switched, had a divided return to a divided government situation. Obviously, President and Senate, one party, the House the other. Narrow margin for the House, however. It took 15 uh, ballots, as we recall, to select the Speaker. So it was going to be, uh, you know, I think, going in a, a different session. Uh, and, and, and how that materialized ultimately remained to be seen. Well, what we've seen is uh, uh, the new majority in the House is, is advanced health agenda. I think it's quite different than when, for example, the years spent on repeal and replace of the Affordable Care Act, where there was just this huge divide, a Grand Canyon divide between the political parties, and one party was going to win, one party was going to lose. Here there are some matters in the uh, in, in the majority agenda that that do not produce that kind of response from Democrats at all. Kind of teases, hey, maybe a deal could could move on some of these things. And number one would be transparency. Uh, what are the costs uh, providers are charging the public? And I think the underlying uh, philosophy here is, you know, let's give the public what they need to make the best choices in healthcare. This uh, unleashes the full thrust of private market. I think that's the theory anyway. And so the majority has really uh, moved forward as a matter of substantive policy there. And the Democrats don't hate it. Uh, uh, they're not necessarily at a point of agreement yet. But, you know, I had uh, wondered whether they couldn't have some creative agreements, which happen yeah, once every two or three sessions. Uh, and, and I, at this point in time, I must say I'm not I'm not terribly optimistic. But on the other hand, there are some other issues where maybe agreements could be reached as well. Pharmaceutical benefit managers, for example, PBM. 
is an area where nobody likes them. <laughs> They're derided uh, in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Uh, is that an area where the parties can can come to some agreement? You know, it's, you'd like to think if we more or less agree on the on the foundation of the matter, can't we get to a deal? Uh, well, again, uh, PBM, I think, is going to more likely than than a broad transparency bill, but it, it really does remain to be seen. These these folks find ways to disagree and blow up uh, prospects for uh, bipartisan uh, achievement uh, uh, much easier than they actually put aside particulars and come to some terms. So uh, that's those are just a couple of issues. There's certainly more we're going to talk about. Mark's going to get into greater detail on them relative to substance matters. Inevitably, though, Mike, I've got to tell you, the the driver on health policy debate in virtually every session I've ever seen is spending. And here we have had quite a go around already and more just ahead. We all recall the uh, the debate and the concern about whether or not the country would default on the debt, an issue that was before us from the very beginning of this session and ran right up into June, where the Secretary of the Treasury said, we got to do it by June or we're, we're going to default on the debt. We, man, we came right up to it. Uh, but they did a deal. And it was uh, at that point in time, a kind of some hope that well, this this was a substantial issue involving the, the, the spending and the, the great disagreement between the parties on fiscal approach of the federal government. Uh, maybe maybe this shows something can move forward. Well, that lasted for a weekend, uh, and shortly after the the deal was done, I mean, like deal was done Friday. By early in the next week, uh, Speaker McCarthy had kind of a blow up on his hands with some small but critical faction of his caucus saying, oh, man, this spending, we spent too much. We're going to have to be tighter than ever next time. And and the next time is rolling around now. So uh, the Congress has been out. People have been having their congressional trips. They've been running around to their town meetings. They've been hopefully getting a little vacation with their families. They certainly deserve it. But uh, facing a square in the face, we're going to get something done by uh, September 30th, uh, or, or we're going to have uh, a government shutdown because that's the date the new fiscal year begins, and you have to reauthorize the spending that will flow in the new fiscal year. So we uh, we look at Congress coming back. The House doesn't come back until. I think the 12th or something like that. There are very few days to get something done. And in that situation, it's going to require bipartisan agreement to pass temporary extensions. They call them continuing spending resolutions so that uh, we, we can we can continue to work toward a spending deal. Nothing's more boring than listening to a Washington insider talk about, uh, you know, these budget gyrations. So I'm going to I'm going to stop with that other than to say, while there might have, there still might be some some opportunity for bipartisan policy achievement. Don't get your hopes up and don't think about anything too big. Uh, on the spending side, it's just a slog every step of the way. 
And if you're asking me how September is going to come out, I can't tell you at this point in time. Mark? Thanks. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Congressman. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. So Mark Rader here and, you know, talking about, uh, you know, some of the more specifics of what Earl was getting into in terms of this deadline on September 30th for spending. There's a number of things that actually ride on along with that that have a similar deadline uh, that are healthcare policy oriented. Um, some are, you know, uh, every, you know, are reauthorized every five years, other uh, on a more regular basis. Um, but uh, they do ride along with that. And of course, every, as, as Earl said, um, you know, there's there's always an issue of trying to find pay, you know, how to pay for those things as well. And when spending is the issue of the day, that means it translates to not just these regular funding bills to fund the government, but also the authorization for even the funding for those bills. So it makes it even more complicated. Some of those things that that will will be riding along with that um, are are things like the uh, disproportionate share hospital funding. Uh, there was a cut to that that was included in the Affordable Care Act that Congress has continued to delay, um, and uh, there's an effort to basically buy out uh, that uh, that uh, uh, that cut uh, for a couple of years, and that costs about four billion dollars. So Congress is looking for other things to help pay for that. And that's where we're getting some of these other uh, efforts that have come um, in, uh, in the committees of jurisdiction in healthcare, like the Ways and Means Committee in the House, the Energy and Commerce Committee in the House, and the Senate Finance Committee over um, in, of course, in the Senate. Um, and one of the main things that they're trying to do there is take a look at something called, uh, well, called, the, called the Patient Act. But what is that? What that is filled up with are things regarding uh, price transparency. So um, Earl was talking about PBM transparency. There's also an effort to try to, which has really been a continuation on what Congress has also already tried to do with with previous uh, work and, and and other Congresses um, to get a to get patients a better idea of what they're paying upfront. That's primarily in the hospital space that they're still trying to do that. But they're also looking at things like clinical laboratories um, uh, and also looking at, you know, radiological um, services. So looking at you know, medical imaging uh, centers and, and such. So they're trying they're really trying to look at each little sector within within the, the larger healthcare um, uh, within the larger healthcare universe to take a look at those things. And they're looking at those partly to try to find um, uh, both to lower costs, but also to help pay for some of these other things. What some of those other things are besides the Medicaid, uh, Medicaid uh, disproportionate share hospitals um, are things like uh, uh, the uh, teaching, uh, teaching health center, uh, graduate medical education. Um, there's the National Health Service Corps. There's GME for children's hospitals. There's reauthorization of the Support Act, which was passed five years ago for Congress, where Congress actually came together in a very bipartisan way um, to try to address uh, substance use disorders that, that's, uh, that's ravaging the country. So that has so many different aspects to it, but reauthoring, uh, reauthorizing that um, takes a lot of money and takes a lot, again, Congress sort of trying to come together on these things, especially with uh, fentanyl and xylazine and other things like that now uh, popping up and being even, uh, even more prevalent. Um, there's health professions training programs um, that are also within uh, with the health uh, resources uh, services uh, um, uh, um, association. Um, um, and so there's there's all sorts of things uh, that Congress has to try to find money for. One more is the uh, 
uh, preparedness uh, for, for pandemics. It's called PAPA. Uh, and uh, that gets reauthorized every five years too. That, especially after coming right out of COVID, that has never been more important and also never been more, um, uh, more you know, uh, I, I'd say they're, they're trying to stay together on it, but there's a lot more, um, a lot more fighting uh, in fighting uh, both, both within the House and the Senate and between Democrats and Republicans on that. So a lot more conflict when it comes to that. But those are some of the things that Congress has to do at the same time they're just trying to actually fund the government. So all these things have to ride along with that. And as Earl was saying, you know, we don't know whether we're going to get them to pass something by September 30th, probably very unlikely. Uh, it's something in terms of something long term. Um, but there could be more sort of short term, um, short term um, uh, continuing resolutions, as he was saying, that that fund the government in fits and starts. And how do you fund these other programs which need to be reauthorized? Do they let them lapse for a little bit? Do they fund them for the for that short period of time, or can Congress get together and try to fund them in a more long term uh, fashion? Uh, I also want to jump in and just uh, remind uh, everyone that the debt ceiling deal that was passed at, that Earl uh, talked about previously has a provision that would require uh, if if there's a continuing resolution, or that is if the spending bills aren't aren't uh, passed uh, by the end of the fiscal year you know, the end of September, that any continuing resolution wouldn't be uh, funded at um, current levels, but instead 99% of current levels. So 1% uh, will be shaved off. So that that's uh, definitely a factor to consider if we do end up uh, in a continuing resolution situation. And um, Mike, just to, yeah. just, to, uh, just to clarify that as well, that is would not be like another 1% um, sequester for Medicare. This That would be only for discretionary funding in the appropriations, correct? That's right. Well, you, you talked about um, um, you know the spending bill. You talked about you know reauthorizations and and certain priorities like transparency. I know that we've been hearing from ACOFP members on issues specific to physician reimbursement. Uh, first of all, the the proposed uh, over three point three percent cut uh, for twenty twenty four under the Medicare physician fee schedule uh, proposed rule that came out earlier, as well as just the overall interest in trying to uh, reform the quality payment program that was uh, mandated under, under MACRA or the Medicare Access uh, and CHIP Reauthorization Act of 2015. You know, what, what, where, where do you, or do you see these two issues in the mix uh, among policymakers on the Hill, um, along with all the other activities you've described? Mark, you uh, Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Earl. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do see them getting some traction, um, but the cost is going to be is going to be the, the big issue. Right. So um, so Congress has already started to look at MACRA in a more critical fashion. Um, they had a hearing in the House Energy and Commerce Committee and one of the subcommittees uh, trying to take uh, trying to get um, uh, get some experts in to talk about some of the shortcomings of the program, some of the things that worked. I think there's a lot more criticism of the of the of, of macro than uh, than there was support, uh, which is why you've seen uh, a lot of the members in Congress. Uh, there's more physicians than ever in Congress, and you see them on both the uh, Republican and Democratic side um, uh, grouping together uh, to try to offer some um, uh, offer some uh, some policy choices. There, there's two things that they're doing. One is they put out a sort of a request for information to try to get some ideas from the broader physician community on on what to do about 
uh, about MACRA and about and largely just what they do about Medicare um, payment, physician payment in general. So apart from MACRA and otherwise. The other is they actually off offered um, um, a piece of legislation um, and it's, uh, it's the Strengthening Medicare for Patients and Providers Act. And this was done by Congressman uh, Larry Bouchon, who's a, sur a surgeon, Republican surgeon from Indiana, um, Ami Berra, a, um, a, a physician from, uh, from California, from Northern California, as well as Raul Ruiz, uh, a Democrat uh, like Dr. Berra, uh, also from California, but he's from Southern California, an emergency physician. Uh, and then Marionette Miller-Meeks, she is an ophthalmologist from Iowa. Um, and so they've grouped together to try to uh, offer up legislation that would, um, that would actually increase Medicare um, or create, uh, create a Medicare payment system for physicians that would, that would actually rise or, or be tied to, I should say, inflation, uh, according to the Medicare Economic Index. And one reason they put this forth is because of the fact that both the Medicare Trustees Report and MedPAC, which is supposed to advise Congress on Medicare issues, uh, on specifically, especially on payment issues, as well as access to physician and other providers, has suggested that they do something along this, along this line. But Mike, as you suggested, and, and, and you as well, Earl, is that you know, money is always the object here. Um, and Congress last year addressed part of a physician payment issue for FY20, or I should say calendar year 2023, as well as calendar year 2024. However, despite that, um, there's this year, there's, as Mike mentioned, there is that 3.3% um, cut again in the Medicare physician fee schedule. That's another hole that's going to cost billions of dollars if Congress decides to take, um, uh, to take that issue up. And where does Congress find that money? Usually they have to find it within the healthcare system. Um, already within Medicare, typically, to try and pay for that. How do they do that and do it within the next couple of months? At the same time, having this broader issue of, well, we're, there, we're trying to look at a complete redo of the payment system, or at least a major reform of the Medicare physician payment system. That looks difficult to, to get that broader uh, physician payment reform done this year, considering what Congress is going through right now with this, with this, uh, this intense pressure on, on funding. Um, but I think this was always more, a little bit more of a two-year approach here. Um, uh, and that's one reason why Congress paid for at least part of that uh, last year's cut uh, for in a two-year uh, two piecemeal way to do that. Um, they wanted to sort of give themselves those two years, one, a uh, first year to take a look at how they would do that, and second year to actually offer up um, uh, offer up very specific um, uh, legislative proposals. So um, the 3.3%, um, again, that will take getting money from things like the Patient Act and other things that Congress would like to take up, um, site of service um, uh, proposals, uh, addressing site of service at hospitals, trying to find savings to put, uh, to, to basically incentives to put, um, to put Medicare procedures uh, and visits in, what Congress deems as more appropriate settings, i.e., lower cost settings. So those are some of the things that we're that they're looking at right now. You know, one of the reasons we're uh, so pleased to be the counsel for the uh, ACOFP is we, we completely believe in the mission that you all perform within our broad healthcare system, 
And I'm happy to tell you that that recognition of the imperative of primary care medicine is not just felt around the corridors of our law firm. The Congress, I believe, understands that we we've under we, we've under committed into the primary care space. So you'd like to think, well, thank goodness they finally figured that one out. Let's fix it. Well, this is where it all gets so difficult. I thought MACRA was potentially one of the more interesting pieces of legislate, health legislation passed in a long time. Uh, it would kind of shift some of the, where the payment flows, a little less to some of the specialties, a little more to the primary care sector. Uh, in the end, I, but I know that you think, well, I'm still waiting for the money, but I sure see the paperwork that flowed from MACRA. Uh, got any more help like that? You can keep it to yourself. Uh, it, 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 it's hard getting this done right. A couple of examples of, of the uh, spending items we've been talking about. Uh, you know, teaching center, uh, graduate medical education, getting, getting GMEs, more teaching slots, not just in massive hospitals with where people inevitably are going down specialty tracks of medicine. We want to train up in uh, teach in in community health centers and other places where clearly the emphasis is going to be on primary care medicine as a way of growing the workforce. Uh, trying to get that thing funded has really been more of a puzzle than Congress been able to figure out. Community health centers. We have a we have an absolute wonderful Republican uh, ranking member of the health committee, uh, Dr. Cassidy, who I think is one of the more interesting health policy thinkers on the Hill. And he is <laughs> uh, paired with Bernie Sanders. We all, we all know no shrinking violet when it comes to health policy ideas. Uh, but so far that if there was promise of something creative coming from the two of them, we kind of yet to see it. Bernie, as we know, it goes way out there and has his own positions. One of the things he would like to do is commit substantial more grant resources to community health centers. And, you know, real question in terms of where he can find that kind of money. So uh, when it comes to health policy relative to primary care medicine, I think primary care medicine's day is continues to to come but money is short and the and the and the specialty interests the, you know this the pie has already been divided nobody wants to give up any part of their piece and so it's really hard getting this restructured around a little bit like so many think must happen uh there are there are sincere legislators both political parties uh so hope springs eternal but you know, in this kind of dysfunctional uh, type of environment that plagues this Congress, I don't, I don't look for a lot of breakthrough in terms of something that's an enduring that goes much beyond spending or maybe some some necessary tinkering uh, this calendar year. Wouldn't it be nice if we get some spending resolution, achieve something, let's say, on transparency, setting the stage for well, can we do something next year? But of course, next year is an election year, not just an election year, a presidential election year. And it's sure hard to get bipartisan anything in one of those. Well, I think we're uh, coming up to our time, but uh, Congressman Pomeroy, Mark, thank you very much uh, for, for your insight. 
Um, to, to the audience, stay tuned. Uh, we will be uh, coming back at you uh, probably later this year with hopefully good news on, on the, a number of the issues we discussed. Uh, but uh, before uh, we sign off, I just want to give a quick reminder that uh, uh, you know, we, we urge ACFP members to participate in, in our federal advocacy, advocacy efforts. Uh, you as constituents are truly the best advocates for, for your issues. Uh, members of Congress want to hear from you directly, and, and uh, they hear from us, but it's much, much more effective to hear from you uh, to talk about what's going on in a member of Congress's district or state. So a couple of ways uh, you can get it or uh, get involved in these efforts is first, you know, stay apprised of uh, what's going on on Capitol Hill and uh, basically inside the Beltway in general. And you can do that by uh, taking a look at the view from the Hill, which comes out every Friday. Uh, we, we highlight any uh, any uh, significant policy developments that are of interest to osteopathic family uh, medicine uh, uh, physicians. Uh, also, um, you know, there are opportunities to weigh in with your members of Congress. Uh, Mark talked about the Strengthening um, Medicare for Patients and Providers Act, or HR 2474. Uh, ACOFP recently launched a call to action campaign uh, for you to uh, weighing with your members of Congress uh, to support this legislation. So uh, go go ahead, uh, go on the ACLFP website. There's a link there for you to uh, participate in that call to action campaign. Um, and then finally, if you have any questions or any comments or suggestions, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to ACLFP at advocacy at ACLFP.org. Again, it's advocacy at acofp.org. And with that, uh, thank you for your time. And uh, like I said, we will be in touch later this year. The ACOFP Advocacy Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org.